one, man. Sorry. What the fuck? <laughs> Alright, this is the new recording. Recording yes. through the blue mic. This is uh, after the recording that Andrew deleted. Yeah. So now we don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Okay. So, introduction to Ducks on a Pond podcast. That's right. We are Ducks on a Pond. <laughs> um, the name. Where'd the name come from? The name came from Chef Dan, who we work with uh, at Cherry Creek. He's the sous chef. Yep. That might change soon, though, right? Yes, that might change. Um, so, he came up with this name. I don't know. He started working there probably, what, a few months ago? Yeah, like five, four, five months. Yeah, and so, I think it's been much, uh, much more fun time with him. Yeah, it definitely made an impact on the place and us. Yeah. But let's be real. The name, it came from Days of Confused. How come? They say they were saying Ducks on the Pond in it. Oh, I didn't know that's where he, he got it from. I think I think so. Didn't really pay attention to it much, but... I'm gonna... It's still a good name. Yeah, I, I think it's... I think it's good, but it might change. Maybe. We'll see. It's definitely a good starter, and he's not gonna be happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm running that down now. Um, so I could look it up. If we have Jamie pull that up. Hey, Jamie, <laughs> pull it up. <laughs> we need a good Jamie. So the reason we mentioned Chef Dan is because he's really eager to be on the podcast. He wants to be the first guest. In fact, he was... Uh, one day we were talking and he's like, it's not happening, is it? It's just He sounded so disappointed. Yeah, he's kind of a pessimist a little bit. Um, but yeah, he wants to be the first one. And he was a little jealous that I, that I even considered having Chef Chris be our first one. <laughs> but I think we should go with Dan. Yeah, we should go with Dan. But I would, I think it'd be interesting to get Chef Chris on. Um, it would be difficult, though, arranging it. I eventually think. we'll get him. Yeah, eventually. Um, he's leaving in a few weeks. Look, this is, uh, today is August 23rd right now, and he's about to leave in... Seven days? Yeah, about, about a, two weeks, or less than two weeks, so, uh, it's, you know, a big disappointment, I think, but like most things now, there's a lot of things ending, but a lot of things beginning, and I totally understand why he's, he's leaving. Yeah, private chef, man. Yeah, he's going to be a private chef, which is yeah. really cool. He deserves it. No, of course he does. I mean, think about how much time he'll have now to spend with his family and his friends. Exactly. And to work on himself. It's like what you were saying. Exactly, yeah, like on himself. But it's like what you were saying when he was talking about how he hasn't seen Cam in, like, 14... He, like, worked 14 hours, hasn't seen Cam in, like, two days. Yeah. He's going to be a lot happier. Yeah, no, it's totally understandable. I never knew when he would go or even if he would go or how long he was planning to stay but it doesn't surprise me now retrospectively that he's going to look for a private chef position so weird man like weeks before I even heard the news I was thinking like what if he leaves like like I wonder how it would go down and like I mean it's going down the way I thought it would be people moping around and everything but yeah. I'm more so proud of him. 
Like he's moving up in the world. Yeah, I mean, he's, he when he said that he was, you know, kind of a, a sought-after chef, it mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me one bit. <laughs> yeah, me too. There's not a lot of people like that that can turn a business around, turn a whole kitchen around like that. He's got a good resume. It's not just what he, he is on paper. It's he shows initiative. Yeah, no, like, just as a, as a leader and uh, the way he leads, it's, that's almost... It's pretty rare. Twice as important, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that, you know, it would be interesting to get him on in a, in a few weeks or, or sometime down the road. He'll definitely want to come on, man. I think he would. I think, you know... Having a platform to speak on <laughs> with such an audience. <laughs> yeah, so far it's zero. That's okay though. Who knows if this recording is even gonna go up? Dude, some you know it's not even about like the audience though. It's just about recording our thoughts and our conversations. We, I agree, man. We have had some really interesting conversations at work. That's why it's important to be authentic. Yeah. Just so we can like listen to this and go back to it, like two years or so. Sure, and think about our ideas. That would be that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like what I was talking about with this thing I wrote down. I I know we already talked about it, but I'm just gonna say it again. Like I was like, do I continue Nirvana, or do I just, you know, continue down the self-disciplinary path? And this is something that you wrote down in your notebook that's right in front of you right now. Exactly, so yes. And it's written probably, what, a year ago? Yeah, more than a year ago. And so you can see your thoughts and what you were thinking a year ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like I've learned something here because, like, I was completely ignorant back then. When I would read the books on Buddhism and things like that, I was like, like, sometimes it would hurt my brain. That's how profound and just, it was just hard to understand. But, like, that is what Nirvana is. Waking up and doing things for yourself. So I'm pretty sure it means to awaken. And let's make the difference. It's not woke in the political sense. It's just to wake up and realize that there are trees and we call them trees. If that makes sense. I think it's definitely a part of that. Um, But I... My theory is, um, and this is based off very little, you know, research into Buddhism, but from what I've heard and everything and what I've experienced, that it's a lot about not finding what's good or what's bad. It's just about living in between. Yeah. Because when you're happy and things are good, you want them to stay that way forever. And when things are bad, and things are going, you know, horribly. You want things to get better, you know. But and you always want to be happy. But you don't think about in between. In between is an area where you're not sad or happy. It's and hard just, to get there. And you're, yeah, and it's, you're living just rationally. Mm-hmm. And, and what you said about accepting and realizing what's around you, and just being okay with that. You know that trees are trees, and that people are people. You know. These are the fundamentals. Um, what you're talking about is the middle way. It's, um, it's going in between and accepting things. I don't know if it's completely rationality, because that would be like 
That wouldn't be like utilitarianism. Do you know what that is? Um, I've heard of it, and at one time I did know about it. It's like, you ever heard of the, um, the trolley situation where there's five people on the tracks, and then there's one person on the track where you hit the switch and you could make it hit him, and a lot of utilitarianisms, or ists, would, would want to hit the one person because it's for the greater, you know, the greater good, but who's to say it is? Yeah. You know, you, you could have, you know, I mean, I know this is ridiculous, but you could have the next Hitler be that guy, you know? Yeah, well, a lot of, you know, a lot of atrocities have been committed for the greater good. Yeah, but who's to say it's for the greater good? How the hell do they know? You know? That's kind of like Animal Farm, where they, they say, oh, this is, you know, we're just trying to do what's right. This is, you know, we're trying to do things that are right. And this little sacrifice is what we have to do now. And then it slowly evolves and takes hold into bigger and bigger sacrifices and more mm-hmm. more suffering and more suffering. Yeah, I'm looking it up. It says the doctrine, utilitarianism, the doctrine that actions are right if they are useful or for the benefit of a majority. Yes. It's way better than what I said. Yeah. No, it's interesting, though, because when you justify one thing for the benefit of the majority, then the majority changes, right? The majority is... is How would the majority change? Because it's looked at from a different scale. Like, let's say, like, let's take, for example, like, like Hitler. Like, he wanted to wipe out... And I know it's not this simple, but from this perspective, like, he just wanted to wipe out a, you know, class of people. Mm-hmm. Multiple. People. Yeah, yeah. Multiple, multiple, right. But then once that was over, it's like, then you have, like, if he c- succeeded in that, it's like you have then, uh, you know, still a less number of, you still... What am I trying to say here? Divide people. There's so many different ways that you can group people. Yeah, if he wasn't exposed for the person that he was, and if people didn't, you know, wake up, this is, again, it's hard to explain, but it's separate from the political system because you're waking up and seeing things for how they really are. But if that didn't happen, then there would definitely be more Nazis than there are now, like neo-Nazis. Yeah, he was definitely pushing, pushing everything to the extreme. Uh, and now there's such a backlash to some of his ideas. The, the same can be said for eugenics. What do you mean, some of his ideas? Well, I gotta call you out there. Like some of his ideas were for the betterment of his people, like quitting smoking, like his anti-smoking campaigns. I didn't even know he did that. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he he led anti-smoking campaigns. This is. Yeah, I've heard people say that he he did wonders for the economy in Germany and his empire in general. But um, I always say, like, at the cost of what? You know, millions of lives. But I don't really know enough about it. I mean, if it was one or the other, I'd have him, you know, be non-existent. You ever heard the, the scenario where if you could go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby... How would you do it? Yeah, I have. So, how would you do it? Well, I don't know if I would do it. I mean, Nietzsche says that everything that has happened will happen. 
it's like the idea that just because one thing changes it's like how much is really going to come out of that that's brilliant man I mean as catastrophic as it was um, I'd say that we can learn from it and try and prevent it from happening again but the reason why history keeps repeating itself is because we don't learn from things we're yeah, too people focused become ignorant and they they indignant too yeah and they want to they believe that they know everything when I was growing up you know, I thought that we lived in the healthiest of times and that we were stronger than people were back then and smarter than people were back then but in in a lot of ways I don't know if that's true you know especially when it comes to being smarter than people were back then mm -hmm. yeah they hardly even sentient I mean maybe we know how to do algebra but yeah. <laughs> it's like most people forget that you know by the time they're an adult I mean like you know real algebra mm -hmm. so it's like quadratic equation things like that yeah shit I learned that last year well I learned it you know I I did homework for it it's I didn't apply it too much so it's like well that's another topic about the use of what we learn mm -hmm. and everything yeah but um, the way learning is done here um, I mean as, as, as much experience as I have in public school um, I'd say that it's not very effective to get like smart people out into the world like, what you need to do is do things like this. Talk about, you know... You need free thinkers. Yes, we need free thinkers. We need people who, who have the ability to change their minds and about whatever they want. Yeah, and accept that somebody that they're talking to knows something that they don't. Mm -hmm. And think for themselves. Like, um, a lot of people have said this, but I'm going to quote Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan said that um, thinking for yourself is, is not just, you know, trying to figure out the universe from yourself solely. Like, like what makes you is other people and other doctrines and whatever. But the way to think for yourself is to look at things and find what you relate to. Like, completely. Don't force yourself to relate to something that you don't agree with. Yeah. Because that's not thinking for yourself. No, you see that a lot of times with people and when they come about, you know, a political compass. And, you know, I took AP Gov last year and I saw a lot of people open up about, realize, you know, who they s might side with yeah, politically, you mm -hmm. know. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, dead center with that, all of that stuff. And so I have no bias I guess towards saying this but it seemed like a lot of people wanted to just agree with something that they thought they belonged with they belonged to you know they thought that oh you know this is kind of who I am and I'm going to I'm going to accept that this party is taking I put myself in con conjunction with the party right and that also happens in 1984 where the party is That's not, the book you're reading now. That is the book I'm reading now. I'm I'm like 20 pages close to finishing it. But 
that is the idea behind, you know, the the party and in, in Big Brother where everybody is the party. The party is not one person. One person dies, that's just a cell. Somebody will uh, a cell. Yeah, a cell like a part of an organism. Oh, okay. All right. Your body is the party, and just one one cell dying, you have dead skin. You have you know you trim your fingernails. Does the body still live on? Of course it does. Right. And so the idea that people are committing themselves to a party. You know, people say, oh, I always vote, you know, blue, or I always vote red, or whatever. It's, even though the party changes, they're still identifying with it. It's very strange. It's it's incredibly strange. And we get that from, like, our families, mostly. Like, it's, a, politics and sports, I find people commit to, like, one team, yeah. one side, for their entire lives. Right. Like, my neighbor has been a fan of the Lions since he was a kid, and I, you know, obviously that's from his family, and they just suck every year. There's, like, there's no reason to to root for them. I mean, there's a reason to root for them, but it, it's just like, it's it's strange that like I wonder what's going on in his head. I wonder if he if he just thinks like maybe I should, you know, root for another team instead, a, a team that I like, you know, explore all the teams. Yeah, you you are right with there being a reason. It's like what I do with music. Like when I was younger, my dad is still on the journey, but he was always he was getting us into journey. And now I'm not I don't even really like journey. I think it's fucking kind of a strange band with some good songs, I guess, but but like eventually I broke away from that. Like I have a playlist full of like 400 songs and like so many different genres. Yeah. And I think that people should just seek variety because, you know, that that opens up their perspective a hell of a lot. Yeah. No, it does. But, I mean, with your dad doing that to you, he wants to relate right, to yeah. you and see if you like it. And, and I did for a time. Yeah, and if you do, it's like, you know, we both share this in common. You know, I mean, it makes, you know, I see his, I see his reasoning. But yeah, with sports teams, you know, and I'm not really big into watching sports. Um, I don't follow. I really don't follow big uh, championships or, or anything like that. Same here. Um, but seems like there is such a variety. There's so many teams out there. You know, and that would make it difficult to choose one to be your team. Yeah. Um, so if you just stick with your home team, it's like your city, you know, it's my team or whatever, just stick with it forever. It's very weird. It, to go back to Buddhism, it's like the idea of impermanence. Nothing is permanent. So it's like, it makes me wonder, are, are they like forcing it? Like we were talking about earlier, are they forcing their, to relate to these teams, to like these teams? It's really know. weird. I'm not sure, man. It's weird to me. I need to clarify. It's weird to me because I don't know. It's like the unknown for me. Yeah. I'm not in this. I'm not in the... I'm in the same boat as you. Because I don't... I'm not into it just as you aren't. And it's not like... I really understand the idea of changing teams. Because, I mean, if anything, I guess I would root for the Detroit teams. But I do recognize that they're not good. And it's like... <laughs> Well, then maybe I should root for the underdog. Red Wings are okay. I mean, I don't know anything about it, but 
my my grandma watches the Red Wings and she always talks about how they're a pretty good team. Hockey is a good sport. Hockey's a fun sport to watch, man. Yeah. I, me and my friends used to go to Suburban and, yeah. and watch hockey teams, like beer leagues. It's yeah. pretty fun. It's, yeah, it's really cool. I used to play hockey. And, uh, um, yeah, so much fun. But it's very expensive to play. I never played it. Yeah, it's really, it's probably, yeah, it's one of the most expensive, like, common sports there is, you know? Because you got to pay for the ice time and the and the equipment. You know, oh, it's you know, it's not like it's not like your AYS, AYSO soccer league. You know. Yeah. Did you play AYSO? I did for one season. Yeah. Oh man, I played for like thirteen years. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people like that, <laughs> where they just get in the habit of signing up every spring or summer. It's a weird league. It is a weird league. Nobody like. I mean, you you go to practices and everything, but. How committed are you really to improving? It's like really wasn't committed, <laughs> right? And that's the thing, you know. I played baseball too for rec and travel, and it's like you play you play rec for just a few years and see if you really like it. And if you do, you go right to travel because mm-hmm. that gives you the best uh, the best means to improve, you know. And, if, and good players want to improve all the time. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I see people they get in that rut where they just sign up every year and they they don't improve. I didn't even care about it. I was not even thinking about the word improvement no, you when just, I was that age. You think you want to score, man? You just want to score and get a goal. I was a goalie. I was just defending goals. Oh, okay. It was fun, man. Slide tackling people. People would get angry, dude. Yeah. Look, they, they like this. Do you know Carson Brewers? No. Okay, he was a guy I went to high school with. And like I would slide tackle him every time he'd try to come for a, to to shoot on me, and he'd be like he'd be like oh you're just standing back there and all of a sudden you come back and hit me huh, and it's like yeah I guess that's how it works trying to defend a goal. I mean it, it, it's just weird he he comes out with like this desperate like insult that does it's just an observation of what's happening. You're still thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I think about that. That was fuck man. That was like. When I was 16, probably. Goddamn. But to yeah. go back to what we were talking about earlier, variety with, like, sports and stuff. Like, when... Two years ago, when... When, like, this was probably three years into me being an atheist, I was like, alright, I think uh, Buddhism sounds interesting. But I don't know if I want to go with it. And see, my idea was I'm going to pick one religion, you know, this, this one thing, you know, like it's a, it's a traditional virtue to pick one thing. And I went from like Taoism, which is, you know, yin and yang. Then I was looking at Buddhism. I even looked at Hinduism. Then I found out that it's too traditional and they somewhat yeah, oppress yeah, women. It's, it's kind of the whole caste system and everything. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. I mean, they don't oppress women the same way that... Islam does, but, you know, I don't want to be connected to that. Um, and, and isn't Hinduism, like, just quite like Buddhism? They share a lot of the same deities. Well, and, you know, Judaism went, or evolved, or no, Christianity evolved from Judaism. Yeah. Same thing with Buddhism, except Buddhism stripped the gods away and put in, like, divine people. 
that makes sense. Like the Buddha or the Bodhisattva. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. So then Buddha, do you agree with Buddha being a person? Maybe he was. I mean, there's this there's um, this idea in Christianity. I'm going to relate it to this. There's this um, idea of Christianity where it's Jesus Christ was a myth. And in the Catholic Church just kind of creating it? Well, there were these early Christians. There was this book that John Marco Allegro wrote. It's called um, The Magic Mushroom and the Cross. And bear yeah, with me. Yeah. Bear yeah, with me, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, get, I. Yeah, continue. Sorry. <laughs> it's all I right. Know, but I know where you're going. Yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page. So, um, in the 1950s, there were the most early versions of the Bible were found around the Dead Sea. And they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it was it was written it wasn't even written in Aramaic. It was these extremely early Christians or Jews, I can't remember. And it was and from the translation it was found out that they were from Roman times. So what these Christians were doing or what, what Allegro found in his translations, you know, he's a scholar of multiple languages, religion, but what he found was that they were, they had a network of mushrooms and like in caves and they were taking these mushrooms. Psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they were also a fertility cult. I don't know much about that, but Christianity was once a fertility cult in the beginning. But anyway, back to the mushrooms. Um, they eventually called it Jesus, and what did Jesus do, I ask you? Spread compassion and wisdom, and this is the same exact thing that mushrooms do. Like, whether it's like hippie stoners being like, I love you, man, or like religious people taking them and spreading like divine grace. It's all compassion. It's all really the same thing. So when the Romans came around and were like, show me this Jesus, like, you'd have to imagine that maybe someone stepped up, you know, t to defend their, his brethren, saying, yes, I'm Jesus. I'm the one they call Christ. And this is the, this is what I'll leave off with. This is the strangest part of it all. The word, the name Jesus Christ means, in ancient Sumerian, it means semen-covered mushroom. Oh, really? I don't even know what the fuck that means. But that is the strangest thing I've ever heard. Huh. Yeah. Doesn't really give you much to go off of, huh? <laughs> no, I don't know. But I do know, yeah, like, Jesus is a, was some person at one point. But Someone they called Jesus. Was he who they say he was? And and could he do some of the things that they said he could do? Maybe. But it's was somebody sacrificed on the cross? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yes. So what I'm getting is maybe, maybe it was maybe it was kind of along the same lines with Buddha. It, it could have been. I don't know. But like, if I if you ask me if I believe he was a real person, I'd give you the answer. How the hell do I know? if he was a real person. I mean, I, I definitely, like, all this fundamental, you know, like the, um, what are they called? The universal truth, the noble truths 
of suffering. Like, everything that, that he taught, or it taught, or whatever taught, is important. And that's what really matters. Yeah. That, that's true. You know, what they, their legacy, the legacy is, is more important. And that's kind of agnostic. You know, the idea of like, well, I don't know if it is for sure real or not, but the teachings that they left behind have to be considered. So that's what that is? Agnosticism? Well, it's like, it's like, you know, there may or may not be a God, but still, you know, I, I know that practice whatever, you know, there is. So it's kind of focusing on the philosophy and the exactly. teachings of it. Exactly. Other than the omnipotence of God. Well, and it's not just specific to a certain religion, but yeah. just to, ge in general, every kind of belief system and, and all that. It's kind of what Buddhism does. They, uh, they stripped away the gods because they realized that nothing in the world is omnipotent. But, um, the Buddhist way that they explain God is kind of like how Chef Steve explains God. He's also another one of our chefs at work, he's yes. our supervisor. Um, so the way God is explained from Chef Steve and Buddhism is that... Well, this is what we remember him saying. I don't, you know... I remember what he I don't want to put words in his mouth, but yeah. Okay, so let's, let's go from the Buddhist angle. So, it's... Um, God is everything. And that means, like, one... Thing. Like, forget the word every. It's a horrible explanation. But, I'm going to continue. So, this is all one thing happening. It's like what we were talking about earlier. Like, one body, if there's one cell that gets, like, that dies, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Like, every tree, every human being, every patch of grass. It's all one patch of grass. Yeah. You know? Like, like it's all... Like, this is the ultimate reality that we can comprehend. An ultimate reality is another way to say God. Right, Big Brother. I don't... What are you talking about, Big Brother? <laughs> that, that's that's uh, 1984. Big, Big Brother is God? Big Brother is is the man that runs, you know, uh, oceanic society. Which is... is which Big Brother, I believe, is, is kind of a godlike figure. Is a deity... That, that makes sense for the religion and the teachings of um, you know uh, Insak and uh, of that rules Oce Oceania okay and so that's uh, the, the whole idea behind it he's kind of like a religious figure just as Joseph Stalin was for communism right and in Soviet Russia but the only difference is Stalin was an actual person <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, we know he was an actual person. Yeah. Who knows, man? 2,000 years from now, if humans are still around, they could be like... They could be having the same conversation about Jesus and Buddha and be like, was Stalin a real person? Could he have been? Yeah, who knows what history will tell in the future. Yeah. What, what will be remembered? Mm-hmm. This shit could get wiped away been talked about in the Joe Rogan experience where like none of this shit like these earbuds and this computer this Dell computer it's like like it could easily just be wiped out like it wouldn't it wouldn't survive because if if we lost all our technology 
these SD cards and flash drives, we wouldn't be able to plug them into anything. And we wouldn't even be able to turn on the computers, you know, in general. So what we would have left is books and notebooks and things like that. Yeah, no, it's it's scary to think, especially if there's some sort of atomic, uh, catastrophic, you know, cast uh, cat uh, catastrophe. You know what I'm trying catastrophe? to say? Catastrophe. Catastrophe. Yeah. Good work. <laughs> trying to pronounce that and I'm getting tongue tied. Uh, so if there's any kind of atomic catastrophe, um, one of the biggest problems that we'll have is a complete loss of easy access fossil fuels. Okay, like think about what led the Industrial Revolution was easy access to coal, surface level coal. Yeah. We've mined out almost all coal and oil, uh, you know, all around. It's not easily accessible anymore. Yeah, Saudi Arabia's got, what, 40 years left of... Uh yeah, something, something like that. But, I mean, you think about, if we go back to sticks and stone, you know, Einstein said that, Einstein said that World War Three is going to be fought with atomic weapons, and World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. He's not wrong, because... That's pretty smart. Well, yeah, because, dude, if, if, if we lose a founda our foundation, like you said, like you were saying, we don't have, the, we won't have the internet. We won't have the mil the records of technologies that we've had uh, through the internet and online, stored online. We have books, and that's it. And even if we do have books and we figure out how to do something, all the whole manufacturing process and all the the economy that you need to to innovate and change things and to even go back to where you were is impossible because you don't have basic functioning uh like fuel systems anymore. Mm -hmm. You don't have fuel to create, you know, combustion engines in factories. Like everything would be made out of wood and like pottery. Exactly. This would, table would not be glass right, if it were like this reality that you're explaining. I mean, yeah, raw materials are just so much more difficult to come by. Mm -hmm. And so the That's global true. production or just global economic production is just completely, completely halted and almost static, right? It's not like we can ha come up with non-renewable sources, uh, you know, later on. Right. You know, you can't come up with, you can't create a, um, uh, you know, windmill. I mean, you can create a windmill out of just wood, but yeah. the ones that convert, you know, wind into electricity, you can't just make that out of, you know, in a barn, okay? You, you really have to have factories developing that technology research bases, you need computers, you know, all these things. And all of those things require just the most basic raw materials to develop. I mean, you think about uh, mankind's, you know, transition throughout history and the amount of production that has happened at least since, since 1500 when the world became a globalized economy. It's, it's all almost impossible to just replicate as easily and is that a good thing or a bad thing i mean who knows for it just depends what you want i mean if we if we're going to be more primitive in those times we're going to live like farmers and stuff like that it's it's good for the healthy people 
but there's a lot of people that die child mortality and, and illness that you know is gonna happen so yeah it's good and bad if that happens yeah um to go back to the dropping of the atomic weapons with that Einstein quote, who knows if they'll even ever drop them in like the next hundred years? Because Alan Watts, who was a scholar of Buddhism and multiple religions, and most importantly, actually that's selfish, um, and he um, was the catalyst for my, for lack of a better word, spiritual progression like without him I wouldn't be on this path um, he said that um, the people that are in charge of you know keeping their fingers on the buttons for those nukes aren't gonna hit those buttons because for one I mean this is this this part here is my theory is because you know if you're gonna lead the world you gotta be like evil be able to control that evil you know what I mean and I get that they're dropping bombs on the Middle East and like innocent people are dying because of it but to drop a nuke on a whole country like they did in Japan you would have to be really crazy and not be able to control yourself like you would have to have like stoic traits as well as like you know like a completely rational like ideas yeah but I mean you know the story behind you know Nagasaki and Hiroshima you know Truman really didn't want to do it it was FDR who wanted to right but by the time they dropped it you know in they they sent out flyers they dropped flyers via planes telling people that there's gonna be bombs that are going to be dropped they did this in Japan? Yeah, they, they dropped flyers telling people that there's going to be a bomb that's going to be dropped pretty soon. And that you should get into cover. Cover? I didn't even know that. Yeah, so and they didn't want to destroy the people. They wanted to destroy the infrastructure. And really just stop saying, hey, we can't keep sending men over to your, to your island to die. Because they knew they were going to fight to the bitter end. Japanese people knew that. Yeah. And so it's like, how many more of our boys do we need to send over there to get killed before we can just do this? And by doing that, they kind of showed the world what atomic weapons could be, could do. But despite that, there has been a lot of peace brought out by having nuclear weapons. I mean, it's called Pax Atomica, right? The idea, you know, like Pax Romana. What's Pax Romana? It's like the idea. It's it was like the perfect the peace time in Rome. Um, yeah, like pack where Roman peace. Um, it mean you know there's it was a two hundred year long time span of Roman history where uh, it was like the golden age, right? But now we have all this peace that's brought out because of atomic weapons. You know, war. There hasn't been as much war as there was. The first half of the nineteenth, the first first half of the twentieth century, that there's been sex. Whoa, dude! All right, I gotta stop you there. So what I was trying to get, when I was trying to struggle to get out earlier, was that Alan Watts was saying that the pressing of the button for the nuclear bomb is a cat and mouse game. Like the country's being like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna press it, and then the other one backs down. 
and that this is a pattern that happens all over. So I, I completely agree with what you're saying there. Yeah. It makes a hell of a lot of sense. But when you have world powers that are like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, the other world powers should be like, okay, do it. So what? Call Everything, Everything's over when you do it because we're going to do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And nothing is going to survive. Absolute destruction. So nobody, so it's like a standstill. And that's why you don't want to get people like, you know, mi- you know, Middle Eastern countries that are motiv- motivated by different things to have technologies like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they don't value, you know, I mean, global when humanity is the same way. Yeah, they don't. They they definitely don't value humanity the same way. But not to put that aside, but if you factor in the fact that they have been getting fucked with by the entire country, like Britain. Yes, they've been. Yeah. U.S. They've been being imperialized for forever. forever. Wow, it's fucking incredible. It's it's a tragedy. And like, like obviously, I mean. They're gonna want revenge, you know. If they're that primitive in their ways, and they haven't, they may have not figured out ways to, you know, cope with their anger. It's it's a small group that does stuff like this, you know. You. I'm talking about the. I'm talking about Middle Eastern terrorists. Middle Eastern terrorists. Yes. You know. You know. Most people like. There's this one statistic that I heard about that, like. A crazy number, like over 75% of people in the Middle East didn't even know 9-11 happened. 75%? Something crazy like that. Or, or higher. Yeah, or higher. They didn't even know 9-11 had happened at all. You know, terrorism is a small group of people. You know, it, it gets into the, the minds of everyday people where, oh, you're on a subway, you're going somewhere, oh, and it explodes. You know, that, that makes you scared. Everybody's scared. You know, same thing with school shootings. It's like, you know, we see it on the news all the time, and you think, you know, it makes you scared that humanity's going to. But, I mean, the chances of it happening in your school are really low, and the chances of you dying in that are also very low. Because, But it's like it still makes you scared. still scares people. That's what terrorism does. Mm -hmm. It scares people. word? When was that word even conceived? Terrorism? Yeah, I feel like I want to say... The Bush administration, but I don't know. It's good that you got this laptop here. Pull it up, Jamie. <laughs> uh, when was it like popularized? Let's look up when it when it was conceived and when it was popularized. Because I I always feel like that word is used as a buzzword. Well, the origin is in the late 18th century in reference to the rule of Jacobin faction during the French period of French Revolution known as the terror so it was conceived during the french revolution okay so the jacobin jacobin faction do you remember learning about this in world history where uh this guy uh i'm gonna roughly try to remember this but they spread terror and they kind of wreaked havoc and incited the french revolution Right, mm. so a small group of people doing stuff like this—that's I. Fascinating. I do recognize Jacobin, but and now nowadays you have you know the Taliban and how they are spreading 
fear into the lives of American people and their own people to take power. Um, yeah, so I don't know how we got onto that topic of terrorism. Just for a moment, let's look at the word terrorism. Like, when I asked when it was conceived, that's a really broad question. Because, because you mentioned that in, in France they called it the terror. So obviously that had to evolve from something, and that evolution had to evolve from something else. And, you know, the pattern continues, you know, into the former events of history. So it's like, again, it's like all one thing, as I was saying earlier. It's all one thing being evolved from that thing. Yeah. You know, because it's all really the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's terror. If you're trying to think about why is it called terrorism? It's the use of terror. I mean, they're, they're definitely spreading fear, and they're doing it pretty damn well. Right. Um, but that's in the Middle East. And the Middle East is a very complex place. Oh, yeah. Very complex. So it says here that the maximum recording is 60 minutes. So we got 15 left. Okay. Yeah. So. If you want to stop here, we can. No, no, no. Let's finish it off. Alright. Um. Let's consult our talking points. Okay. All right, so I've got two. We've got masculinity, and from Ooh, there... That's that's a big topic. We right can there. talk about Jordan Peterson there. Yeah. Or Jordy, as I like to call him. Okay. All right. So, yeah, let's... yesterday, um, you were leaving work, and I was we talking, talking to you. About that, yeah. I was talking to you about... How many times am I going to drop yeah, this? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, we were, we were talking about masculinity and how... It's um, it's conditioned mostly by the patriarchy, which is a word that I learned yesterday. From which you. which we were talking about, and I think the meaning of patriarchy is much more complex than it I can e I can even understand. Right, and I think most people can understand. But you know, I talk I talked to you about the idea of paternal. Um, and uh, maternal instinct, and in, in talking about that, um, maternal instinct. Yeah, paternal instinct. Like yes. ma maternal instinct is like the need to like nurse a child. And, oh yes, and stuff yeah, like that. But when it talks about patriarchy, okay, I'm just looking it up here, and it says, first definition that comes up is a system of society or government in which the father or elder or eldest male is head of the family and descent is traced through the male line another definition is a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it that's the definition I think a lot of women use to describe the patriarchy a society or community organized on patriarchal lines yeah I mean look at it now it's definitely evolving for the greater good but still got majority of men in political office right I mean, even even like corporate presidents, you don't see many 
right. many women in that role. Right. We're moving toward it, though. Do you think it's a good thing to make it 50-50? I don't think it should be a number. I don't think it, there should be a set ratio. I think it should just come come up, you know, of itself so. Yeah. You don't want there to be equality of outcome. Yeah, that, see, that's proportionality. That's the conservative view of equality. The liberal view of equality is everyone gets, like, the, the equal amount each. Or wait, what you said was the, the liberal, the liberal yeah, definition. Yeah, equality of outcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the Republican view of, like, like say, say it's the apocalypse and people need water. So you got this big guy, he needs more water, a baby. Equality needs, of opportunity. That's the equality of opportunity? For conservatives, yes. Okay, all right. Where everybody has the same opportunity to success, but with what you do with it is up to you. I don't think I understand. Like, like you have the opportunity to, um, like, two people have the same job opportunity and can get the same job, and they both do get the same job, but one person asks for more money to start with, and the other person doesn't, and and they, they end up making different amounts of money, and the other person works harder than the other person and gets promoted. So you start at the same spot, but you end differently because of the amount of work you put into it. That's So that's a conservative view. Yeah, or the idea that you know people start at the same, same uh, you know, intellectual abilities, um, and they choose what they want to do with it. All right. But... You know, like that. That's quality of opportunity. Um, and that's good. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, me too. I, that that does sound good. Um, that, that makes me think. Um, when you have hard left and hard right leaning political party or political individuals... You gotta think like are are they are they looking into the not even like the party the liberal part the Democratic Party or the Republican Party are they looking into the philosophy of conservatism or liberalism because I I didn't realize that what we were just talking about the what the equality of opportunity or whatever you called it was a conservative idea so in that respect. I, I agree with that conservative idea. So what I'm I mean, saying is we're all a little bit conservative. We're all a little bit liberal. Right, but don't confuse that with political. Yeah, I'm not. Because politically, I mean, you know, whatever, in the 60s, you know, conservatives wouldn't have been like, you know, I, wanna, I want these people, you know, there was a whole different political atmosphere back then. Right. But conservatively, just in general. When I say conservative, I, I mean like like the preservation of like traditions and yeah, the preservation exactly. of anything that you like. In order. Like, like, like I, I'm not going to disrupt, disrupt the flow of things because I'm afraid to lose it. Or whatever reason, you know, whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, you think of order. Mm -hmm. And liberalism, you think of chaos. Every word has a, has is a broad thing, like like when you say the word tree, like like you can think of the Bible, you can think of what we're looking at now. We're sitting outside in Andrew's backyard. We have a a great view of trees, but um, well, it's also that 
trees are used as symbols to something yes, else. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah, but but like you think of like this Dell laptop and it's like it's very specific. You know, it's got Intel Core i5. Mm -hmm. That's just the name to describe one thing specifically. And this is perfect that you mentioned the computer because when the internet was conceived, they were talking about how they wanted it to be a tree. But then I think I think it was Al Gore who had the idea to make it be kind of like a web. So you know, the world wide yeah. web. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no. Not I, that it was conceived in the nineties, it was conceived in the sixties, but Yeah. Um I think that's interesting. But going back to the idea of patriarchy, um, just to touch up, you know, that's just the system of government which but is that because of is the patriarchy it's the crisis with masculinity, with masculinity because of the patriarchy. I'm not so sure. Well, it's because I mean that's the thing that definitely started it. Wherever that evolved from, you know, like tribes competing but, for resources and the beta, the uh, the alpha males, things like that. Like like that eventually evolved into you're not supposed to cry because you're a man, and then they they do the same thing with. Parents do the same things with their daughters at times. It's like, um, little girls aren't supposed to cry. They say things like that. Well, You're not allowed to have feelings. Um, I think particularly the crisis with masculinity comes out of the depiction of what makes a man masculine. And that depiction is brought on in large part through cultural entertainment and standards okay so like the hero the hero a man yeah the uh the idea of like especially with hollywood and their production of certain films that alludes to oh the 80s man yeah the particularly the 80s yeah and old fucking rambo and schwarzenegger <laughs> also the idea that that becoming a man is less Necessit less necessary than we might, than we might think because uh, well I do think it is a necessity to be masculine to be healthy and yeah to be masculine but I do think it's o often overlooked as a necessity most people don't think of it as like oh you don't need to be big strong and tough especially nowadays if you're working a desk job mm -hmm. you're just sitting there I mean that's the whole idea behind Fight Club is we we have guys that don't need to be masculine at all, and are struggling with, with, with their masculinity in general because they and the meaning to their own lives, and so they have to fight, and become, you know, animals, to become masculine. They have to fight for it, you know, and mm -hmm. that that's the whole idea behind it. And so you believe that it's a necessity to become masculine. Yeah, for any man to become masculine. It's overlooked. I have to say I disagree there. Well, let me... I think you have to have a strong masculine aspect to your life. I think but you should have a strong... Femininity is also, in part, important. I should have waited to hear that. Sorry, yeah, because I do think it's good <laughs> no, to have I'm a sorry. balance. It's my fault. Have a balance, but you need them to complement each other, not supplement each other. 100%. When you yes. have... You can't just subscribe to some... You can't half-ass, you know, one aspect of it and expect the other to take care of it. No, you need both 
You need to come healthily balanced. Yeah, I, I was I was being foolish just now. I, I thought you were speaking and saying that um, you need to be absolutely masculine. And I, I was like, I forgot your character. I know you, I know that you know nothing is absolute. No, it isn't. Yes. Yeah, right? I just assumed, you know. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, 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 dude, it's okay. But yeah, every balance, in you know, when people talk about, you know, their father's, you know, good father figure being, like, caring and stuff like that and and being loving, it's not that he's being masculine. He's not being masculine. He's being feminine. He's accepting that. And he's doing a good job with it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that he's masculine. Don't People often confuse. They want masculinity to be feminine. And it's not. Because that same man that loves and cares for you is the same man that's going to drag you through hell and show you what the world's really about. Did you hear this from a book? Because that that was incredible. Well, I, I've heard it. You know, these, are, these aren't just my ideas. They're, I've taken them from other places. Yeah. It's and like, especially through, like, Jordan Peterson's books mm-hmm. and how he talks about it. Twelve Rules for Life. Yeah. No, no, seriously. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff, you know. Um, but anyway. Four minutes? We got three minutes left. Ah, yes. So, how do you want to end it? Should we just talk about the future of this podcast and where it's going to go? I think we should talk about that. And we forgot to introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah. Everyone knows you're Andrew, but yeah. I'm, I'm Marco. Was um, we both wanted to do this podcast? Yeah, but we like only recently, probably like two weeks ago. I I proposed the idea. I was like, dude, you and I should do a podcast. Like, like it is destined to be this way. And you immediately were just, were on board, man. I've wanted to do this for a while. Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, no, and and doing it outside here like this is really cool. It's exciting. It's really exciting. Yeah, and um sharing these thoughts and recording them is great mm-hmm. to perhaps any audience that's listening but we are both dishwashers at Cherry Creek and it's a golf club where we live and and uh, some of the people we talk about we should probably give better context to what we're talking about like Chef Dan yeah it's kind of where we work but you know we're both young I'm, I'm going to be a senior in high school and Marco is 21 and yes I've gone through two years of college and I am considering alternatives to college yeah, so, you know, we're young and we're trying to figure things out. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we're going to have some great guests on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some great guests, more like just yes. friends. Yeah, some, some, local, uh, some local friends. <laughs> but they're very interesting. I, I mean, what we're talking about now and just the, the way we're getting our, our ideas out, it wouldn't have been as impactful if we didn't work at Cherry Creek. First of all, it's... It's a family business, and like when we get back there in the kitchen, um, it's it's very wholesome. We make fun of each other, but we also we we stand around and we have like discussions about things that matter, things like this. Right. It, the environment breeds great conversation. Yeah, you just summed it all up there. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. No, that's. That's it. We'll uh, we'll come back to this. Catch you guys next time. Yeah, ducks on the pond. <laughs> ducks on the pond. <laughs> Episode one done. Yep, that's right. <laughs>